Well, let's go to Mark chapter 12. We're going to be in verse 35 today, and we'll get to that scripture momentarily. I want to welcome you to church today. So good to see you guys. Back in the 1990s, every Christmas, some type of group game would come out, like apples to apples, categories, Pictionary. And after that gift was given to a family, throughout the month of January or February, you had to play one of those games at some type of party, a New Year's Eve party or beyond. How many remember what I'm talking about? Okay, thank you. This all started in the 80s with the revolutionary game called Trivial Pursuit. And I remember my family getting together with other families in the community and playing Trivial Pursuit with this great desire to fill up your little pod with all the different triangles to cover every subject. And I enjoyed playing that. Um, but sometimes you can really feel like an idiot playing that game because people got really arrogant and haughty and they would say stuff like, you don't know who the lead actor from Gone with the Wind is? How stupid are you? So you'd go through all those questions and you'd try to answer them and you realize how much stuff you did not know. And so one of the benefits of losing, one of the benefits of getting the question wrong was when you had the opportunity to ask your question yourself. Uh, I found that to be more fun than answering because after everyone else had made me look ignorant, I wanted to find a really, really tough question to ask them. And so in that case, it was often your benefit to lose. It was more fun to ask the question than to receive the question. Now, these last few weeks, we've been seeing how Jesus masterfully answered these, what we now call gotcha questions. The Pharisees and Sadducees were busy trying to get Jesus, to trick Jesus, to try to get Jesus to stumble over his words or to say something contradictory or to say something to arrest him. And question after question after question, Jesus answered with supreme wisdom. It was unbelievable how Jesus answered the question. So now we ended last week finding out that they were astonished by his wisdom and, and no one dared ask him anything else. And now Jesus, it's his turn. Jesus gets to ask the question to them. He had been receiving questions and answering them with great skill. Now he was able to give the question himself. Let's get our Bibles out and go to Mark 12. And we'll start today. We'll start today in verse 35. So Jesus asked this question as he taught in the temple complex. How can the scribes say that the Messiah is the son of David? Now, let me just explain this for a second. Something that was believed and is true that the Messiah would be someone from David's line, an ancestor of David. Now, the word Messiah is a translation. It's an English translation of a Hebrew word, which is a translation of a Greek word you may have heard of called Christ. So Christ and Messiah are simultaneous. They're the same thing. They're synonyms. Now, what does the word Christ, what does the word Messiah mean? It means anointed one. This was the one the Jewish people were looking for and that Jesus has fulfilled. Many of the Jewish people are still looking for the Messiah, 
but we as believers in Christ know that Jesus is the Messiah. And so Jesus now, again, reminding you, he's turning this question upon the other religious leaders. And so he asks a question, how can the scribes say that the Messiah is the son of David? Verse 36, David himself says, by the Holy Spirit, parenthetically, let me say something there, that lets us know that Jesus believed the Old Testament was inspired, word of God, by the Holy Spirit. The Psalm, in this case, specifically Psalm 110, verse one, and he quotes it and says it this, you can see it in verse 36. The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Jesus goes on and says, David himself calls him Lord, How then can the Messiah be his son? And the large crowd was listening to him with delight. Now, I understand that if you're having your Bible study, which I hope you do, and by the way, in 2016, I want every one of you to read the New Testament. So get ready. We're all gonna read the New Testament in 2016. But when you're doing regular Bible reading, this may be a portion of the passage that you just kind of read through. What did that mean? Not sure. Let's go on to something better. But there's a very clear message that Jesus is trying to give us here in what really is a riddle. He really gave this riddle uh, to the Pharisees, but the riddle gives us truth in life this morning and reveals who he is. That's why today's teaching is called Fully Jesus, because I want you to have a greater revelation of who Jesus said he was. How many know that it's much stronger to have a firsthand account of the one that we worship says, hey, this is who I am. And Jesus dealt with some assumptions here. And the assumption was everyone agreed up to that point, and we would agree this morning the same way, that the Messiah had to be the son of David. He had to come from David's line. But then David is saying in Psalms 110.1, uh, he's saying that even the Messiah, the, the Messiah, I'm under his authority. I'm under his control. How could this be? How could the anointed one be the son? How could the anointed one be the God and simultaneously be the son of David? Now, even though you might say, well, this has never been a question I've asked before. This kind of feels like needless trivia to me this morning. Nonsense, because here's the reason why. You, you must have the correct definition of Jesus or you're going to be vulnerable to all types of Christian cults, all types of false doctrine, all types of slants on Jesus that can easily manipulate and deceive us. So having an understanding of who Jesus is, is so important. And that's why this scripture is so important. Now, if you're following along in in the outline, I want you to get that outline because I want to give you three observations about Jesus today as we see fully who he is. I heard a pastor preach in recent years, and he told this firsthand story about himself. He traveled all over the nation, and so he had platinum status with Delta Airlines. Platinum status is nothing I've ever achieved, but uh, it's pretty cool when you have it because I've seen the other people who did have platinum status. That meant when the plane is boarded, they go to the front of the line. It also means that they get access to first class. So platinum status uh, of frequent flyers, uh, they get first class, they get first class upgrade. And on this particular trip, this man had a first class ticket and all the seats were full. 
But there was something that was a little bit different about this trip. He was traveling with his wife and his wife didn't have a first class ticket. She was in the back in coach. She was in the back in coach with an empty seat next to her. Now this sermon today is not advice on marriage. How many know that whenever I give advice on marriage, it doesn't go well for me in sermons anyway. That's an inside joke if you're new here. But I will tell you this, is that here is some clear advice. Guys, if you have a first class seat and you're traveling with your wife and she's in the back with an empty seat next to her, don't stay in first class. And so this, this pastor told the stewardess, I'm going to the back and I'm gonna sit and coach so I can sit next to my wife. Now, here, here's the point of this illustration. He chose to demote himself. He chose to place himself in a less desirable position. He chose to seat himself in a place which in, in this realm, in this definition, was beneath him. But he didn't lose a status. He was still a platinum platinum frequent flyer with Delta. Just because he chose a less desired position didn't change the status of who he was. Here's a revelation of Jesus. And when Jesus was clearly telling the Pharisees, setting the course with this riddle saying, I am fully, fully God. I'm fully human. This is what the first point I want to to, uh, suggest to you today is Jesus was and Jesus is fully submitted and fully Lord. Write it down if you're taking notes. Fully submitted and fully Lord. The deity and the humanity of the Messiah are both involved in this problem. There's only one solution to this, what would be a difficult riddle that the religious leaders of that day had never thought of. They had never thought of Psalm 110, verse one, thought of the ramifications of this. What can solve this Dilemma. What could solve this apparent contradiction? There was only one way to solve this apparent contradiction. Is that the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, the one who had to come from David's line, who had to be a descendant from David, couldn't be just a regular descendant from David. He couldn't just be a regular, normal person, born of flesh. It had to be something unique. It had to be something different. And we now know the answer to this equation. It had to be God coming in the form of man. God who submitted himself to human flesh. God who submitted himself to restrictions of the physical senses. And he did that without losing his status of God. God chose to demote himself. God chose to diminish himself. And yet when he demoted himself, diminished himself, submitted himself, it didn't change his status as fully God. It made him just as powerful, just as, just as chosen, just as anointed, and yet he chose a different way. Hebrews 10, chapter 10, verse 12, is just one small sample of scripture after scripture after scripture who talks about this mix of humanity and deity that's in Jesus. It says, this man being Jesus, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, this is that act of submission. This is that act of submitting himself. Sat down at the right hand of God, which is a place of authority. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he was perfected forever. Those who are sanctified. 
Now, the early church, the church in the first few hundred years after Jesus was not this tidy, perfect, easy church. In fact, we think, well, they were a lot closer to Jesus than we were. Surely they had the more pure doctrine. Well, that's yes and no. Yes, they were more closely connected uh, through chronological years to Jesus. But there was much more vulnerability. It's much like a child. We know this, that a child is most vulnerable as a baby, and then as a toddler, then as an elementary child, and then you think you're doing pretty good as a junior high kid, and then the child gets a car to drive at 16, and they're vulnerable once again. And so here it is through college. As the years go on, the child, as they maturate into a young adult and then to adult, they become less and less vulnerable. So it has kind of been with the church. The church was very vulnerable in the early years to false doctrine. And then here's the part that you may not know about, but you need to know, is the church was very vulnerable to wrong definitions of Jesus. And we think here today, we think, well, hey, who Jesus is and the nature of who he is and what he does, that's easy. Do you know it was not easy that there were many, many false interpretations of Jesus that threatened uh, the viability of the church uh, that caused great debate to happen, that caused great heresy to start, heresy that deceived many people. And you might think, well, is that really a big deal? It's a huge deal because this heresy diminished the greatness of who Jesus is and, and who Jesus has revealed himself to be. And so I, I want you to understand that when we sing and we say prayers together and we say prayers spontaneously about Jesus and we say certain things about him, this is not just something that came easily. This is something that we have struggled with and struggled with and have, we have tested and we have searched the scripture. And the scripture itself has there been our source to say, our Jesus is very particular. Our Jesus has been defined a certain way for now hundreds, even over a thousand years. Our Jesus is very clear and it's not up to us to redefine Jesus. It's not up to us to accommodate Jesus. It's not up to us to make Jesus fit our lifestyle and our culture. It's our responsibility to find out who Jesus revealed himself as and submit to that. We don't make Jesus accommodate to us. No, we find out who Jesus is and we submit to him. He is the one that has been tested. He is the one who's reliable. He is the one that we can count on. So the early church had all types of councils, and these councils uh, form our doctrine today. And one of the great debates was on the nature of Jesus. Was Jesus uh, a man? Was he a man or was he God? Uh, was Jesus just uh, someone who um, was a man who evolved and became so godly, he became the son of God? Or was Jesus uh, such a deity, uh, one who was born of a virgin, that he really was like a, wasn't a human at all. He was just like this deity that just looked like a human. And this great debate would go on and on. And there was some finality in something called the Chalcedonian Creed in the year 451. The Chalcedonian Creed was a very, very clear mark of the church. And to this day, we get our beliefs of who Jesus is through this creed. And making it very simple, here it is. Write this down. Jesus is fully man, fully God. 
Fully man, fully God. That's a one thing. If you can let this phrase be imprinted on your heart, let this phrase be part of your psyche, part of your spirit, man, it will save you from many, many false doctrines today. And, and, and even in the last 30 years since I've been following the church, there have been many, many popular uh, teachings, teachings that are new, teachings that are exciting, teachings that have not uh, felt like it's been discovered before, that have diminished the nature of Jesus. It's diminished uh, his humanity or it's, humi- it's diminished his deity. And if we go back to the roots of our faith, we realize Jesus is fully man and fully God. This is the only option. Now look at the scripture and where the scripture says, because the scripture is our source of strength. Romans chapter one, verse three and four. Concerning his son, Jesus, Christ our Lord. Now look at this. This this reinforces exactly the the riddle or the trick question Jesus gave to to the scribes and the Pharisees who was descendant of David according to the flesh. This is so important, fully man. Now, going on in verse four, and was established as the powerful son of God by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness. This, what appears to be a contradiction, what appears to be a contrast, what appears to be a paradox is not at all. It's a holy, holy mystery that's the essence of our faith. That the Jesus that we worship, the Jesus that we honor through communion, the Jesus that we represent with when we wear the cross and, and when we claim his name as little Christ, as little Christians, is very specifically revealed as all the way God and all the way human. And anything less diminishes his greatness. This same point is again reinforced in 2 Timothy 2 verse 8. And these are not just limited scripture. This is just a small sample of the many, many scripture. And it says that, that, that declare this truth. Keep in mind, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended from David. There it is again, according to my gospel. Both. He was someone who has a specific line, a family line, yet he's unlike any person who's ever lived because he has been risen from the dead. He's alive and there's no one like him. Now the Chalcedonian Creed, let me just show you the slide right here and I'll put this on my blog later so you can see it. Here's just a list of five things. This is a five summary and you'll see that these are the things that have been established now for 1600 plus years. Jesus has two natures, he's God and man. Each nature is full and complete. He is fully God and fully man. Remember the phrase I just gave you? This summarizes everything. Each nature remains distinct. Christ is only one person. Things that are true of only one nature are nonetheless true of the person of Christ. This creed, these beliefs come from the Holy Scriptures and come from theologians, church fathers, Christians of all time have believed these things about Jesus, and so should we. You say, what's the point today? Here's the point today. You don't, and you don't let anyone else in your life diminish Jesus. Don't let anything you see on afternoon, daytime show, or the morning news channel, don't let anything you hear in a college class by a professor, don't let anything that you read on the on the. Uh, book racks of Walmart that have been out since 2003 diminish Jesus. 
Don't let anything diminish the greatness of him. He is all the way God and all the way man. And that's what makes him different from anyone else who has ever existed. He is both. And that realization doesn't just demand our recognition, it demands our worship and it demands our very life. So why is it that we love to see daddies get down and play with their children childhood games? Isn't it great to see a dad on the floor throwing a ball with a little boy or a dad sitting at a little tea set with a girl? Why do we love to see a dad play childhood games with their kid? Why do we love to see the boss or the supervisor empty the trash or clean out the coffee pot? Why are we so endeared to world leaders when they scoop down to look a little child in the eye and men and women of great power who who stop and pause and scoop down and look a child in the eye? Why are we drawn to such, such scenes and such experiences. We're drawn because of this. There's a principle that we know now as human beings that when a person, an individual, humbles themselves, it actually exalts or esteems their persona. When a great leader scoops down and becomes a part of the people that he leads and serves them, when, when a when a great leader looks a child in the eye, when even a father or a grandfather pauses what they prefer to get into the world of their child, we, we esteem them more. We, we look at their lives and we say, that man or that woman has uh, some type of quality that's admirable, that's desirable, that's good, that feels right. The business world calls this servant leadership. It's a popular term in the business world, being a servant leader. As Christians, we call that being like Jesus. The one who, whose entire life he humbled himself. He reduced himself to a human embryo in the belly of Mary. He limited his powers for 30 years and served anonymously as a carpenter in an obscure town of Nazareth. He was reluctant to show himself as God because he lived a very ordinary, normal life for most of his life. His last three years, he revealed himself at God and the timing of the Lord. And so when we humble ourselves and when we serve those that we lead and we serve our family, we serve our spouse and we serve our children and our nieces and nephews and our grandchildren, we are being like Jesus and even though now in, in our culture, there is some benefit to that at times in the servant leadership uh, mantra and, and, and that whole business model, it has, for us, it should have nothing to do of personal benefit. It should have everything to do with following the characteristics of the one we've chosen to pattern our lives after. And so my last thing I wanna say is Jesus was fully humbled and fully exalted. This is the great mystery that the man who died on the cross, the place of humiliation, the place of assault, the place of insult, we know it as the place of power. 
Because when Jesus laid down his authority, and he even laid down his holiness and righteousness to receive our sins, that one act changed everything for all of us. Bruce Shelley made this amazing observation. He said, Christianity is the only major religion to have as its central event the humiliation of its God. Think about that. Christianity is the only major religion to have as its central event the humiliation of its God. Jesus, to be fully man and fully God, which is the centerpiece of today's message, he had to be one that was willing to submit himself Submit himself to the Father's plan. Submit himself to the restrictions of human flesh. Restrict himself to the laws and the customs of the day. And yet Jesus, being perfect and sinless, was able to submit himself to every area he needed to submit himself, but he remained highly exalted. Jesus was able to take the flesh and take humanity upon him, but he never sinned, and he never diminished his God, and he was never anything less than who he was supposed to be in his holiness and splendor. And then Jesus took the way of humility, and now he is exalted, even in this sin-saturated world, this world that doesn't want God, this world that most of the world doesn't want to submit to God. Even in this world, you cannot get around Jesus. Jesus is a centerpiece of our calendar. Jesus is the one that we cannot ignore. Uh, People have have uh, built governments and fought wars and have uh, made inventions and have searched for new lands all in the name of Jesus. I could go on and on and on. There's no limitation to what Jesus has done because Jesus, as being the perfect one God, he knew the principle that he's patterned for us that through humility and through humbling himself, he was exalted so high and he was exalted above every name and every person. So Philippians 2, 5 through 11, this scripture we could read over and over and over again, and we could never, 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 never lose its power. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says this, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be useful for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even to the death of the cross, on a cross. For this reason, come on, Beth, come on. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amazing words, are they not? Amazing words to our Jesus. And I'm gonna tell you this. If you don't wanna hear about Jesus and if you don't wanna hear about the power of the cross and if you don't wanna hear about the resurrection every Sunday, this is the wrong church for you because there is no other thing to center our preaching on, our worship on. There's no other other item to center our community upon. There's no other item to center our faith, our families, our marriages, our parenting, except for Jesus. There is no one that compares to him. And we are a people. We are a people that, who knows, we may not be the slickest, the most entertaining. We may not be the most popular, but we can be those who love Jesus with all our hearts, soul, and strength because Jesus is it. Jesus is everything. And Jesus, who he is, 
demands our best and demands our praise. And I want to tell you this. Jesus will not be limited. Jesus will not be restricted. Jesus will not be misidentified. Jesus will not be diminished. Jesus will not be marginalized. Jesus will not be reinterpreted. Jesus will not be ignored. Jesus will not be forgotten. And Jesus will not fade away. No matter what culture does, no matter what the military does, politicians do, no matter what the entertainment industry does, Jesus isn't going anywhere. He is established above the universe. King of kings and Lord of lords. There's no one like him. I'm going to tell you this. Jesus is the beginning. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is the center. Jesus is set apart. Jesus is set above. Jesus is incomparable. Jesus deserves our worship. And Jesus' holiness demands our praise. And at the name of Jesus, there's going to come a day when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Because truth is truth. And so we, as God's elect, as God's chosen, get to declare it now and declare it today and declare it with our hearts. What a privilege. Amen. Come on, let's stand together. Let's stand and begin to worship him. How many know that that Satan wants to distract your life? He wants to he wants you to get your life uh, so preoccupied with your career, so preoccupied with your relationships, so preoccupied with your financial wealth, so preoccupied with things of this world. But the scripture tells us this, Jesus said this himself, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else will be added to you. Because when you put your eyes upon Jesus, your eyes go to the highest place possible. Your your eyes go to the place of most power and most authority. And so if you need a healing, Jesus is the answer. If you need healing in your marriage, Jesus is the answer. If you need a breakthrough in your cells, Jesus is the answer. If you need Jesus to uh, show you where you need to live and what your future is, he's the answer. Get your eyes on Jesus and not your problem and see what begins to happen because he is seated at a place of the highest authority and he is above all, King of kings and Lord of lords. Come on, let's sing this song to him.